even the word selfish needs defining because is it selfish to allow yourself an hour a day or 10 minutes a day or one day a week where you don't look at your phone or look at your emails? It's not a reflection of what's actually going on. You won't see the tears behind a smile one day. Hello and welcome to Do Mind, a podcast taking a fresh and proactive look at mental well-being. We're talking to people about their approach to their own mental health, looking at what it takes to maintain this in a positive way, and not viewing mental health as something that only happens when we reach those seismic breaking points. Whether this is practicing meditation, enjoying a healthier relationship with technology, exercising, spending more time in nature, cooking or time with family, we're talking about what it takes to find and maintain a happy mind. And what does that even mean? How does it make us feel and how does that change our lives? Our guests are entrepreneurs, wellness experts, politicians and musicians. Different worlds, but all willing to talk openly and honestly about something that has previously been overlooked. You might already have heard of our next guest in one of two contexts. Either as a 16-year-old who was plucked from obscurity to become one of the UK's leading soprano singers, or as the celebrity nutritionist who's worked with some famous faces, Olympic athletes and professional footballers. Both are Rhiannon Lambert. She's a qualified nutritionist with three degrees, the author of Renourish, with another book on the way, and has a hugely engaged following on her social handles, at Retrition. She believes strongly that food and mood are inextricably linked. We talk about how she discovered the importance of nutrition during a bleak time in her own life. She shares some top tips for food and the mind, and she also gives us her thoughts on social media as a businesswoman and influencer. Rhiannon, welcome to the studio. Thanks for being here. Hello, finally. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And as a little icebreaker question, I Mm. wanted to ask you, what was the first thing that popped into your mind this morning? Oh, gosh. (laughs) The first thing that popped into my mind... Unfortunately, it was, I wish I was still abroad on holiday. <laughs> I actually returned from Greece uh, Ooh, looking lovely. at wedding venues yesterday. So um, I was just thinking of the blue sky in comparison to the beautiful grey of London. What a beautiful holiday. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> and how long were you away for? It was just a long weekend, but I think it's really, really important to schedule those in if you're able to whenever possible, even just getting out of London. It does give you yeah. some perspective, doesn't it? Hugely. And how do you feel after a holiday, when you're on holiday? What to you is a kind of healthy mind? I think a healthy mind to me would be when I know I'm happy and relaxed and I'm not anxious. I think London life, or for anyone that's listening, even not in London, you know, our lives can be quite stressful and sometimes ridden with bits of anxiety that, you know, crop up here and there. But for me, a healthy mind is when I feel energised, I feel happy, and I'm just not focusing on things that are kind of irrelevant in life. And on the flip side of that, what does anxiety feel to you? Because I think for lots of people, it's different Mm -hmm. things. Some people, it's a crushing pain in their chest or a sickness in their stomach Mm -hmm. or not being able to focus. How do you feel when you're kind of not on point? Yeah, I think for me, it's not so physiological. It's more my mental state that I notice that I feel, I do feel tired. I feel lethargic and I don't feel able to concentrate on things I should do. Sometimes I almost feel like I can't get moving and there's so much to do. It's an overwhelming, crushing feeling rather than the physiological symptoms. So I'm very lucky. I don't get anxiety to the level I know a lot of my clients in Harley Street do. Even some of my friends, they suffer a lot from anxiety. I think it's much more common than we we address 
in today's day and age. But for me, it's definitely more my, my feelings inside with my concentration levels and my mood. And how do you combat that? I combat it by surrounding myself, in all honesty, with people that I love, my friends, my family. I schedule in my diary time out now. And one thing that I used to be really poor at was being a little bit selfish. And this year, actually, the busier I get, the more selfish I allow myself to become. So even the word selfish needs defining because is it selfish to allow yourself an hour a day or 10 minutes a day or one day a week where you don't look at your phone Mm -hmm. or look at your emails? And I think for me, scheduling in that time has become really important and it's helped me manage levels of anxiety and things that I think we all deal with. And it's so unusual to not be contactable, to Mm. not be available, to not have something in the diary. And actually, that space is often what you need to then regroup and come back stronger. Totally. And it's so hard to do, isn't it? I mean, I was that person. I still kind of am where my diary has to be full. You know, I want to see my friends. I want to fit everyone in. And actually, sometimes I feel like I'm being a bit of a poor friend because I'm not able to schedule people in to the level I used to. But that's actually really important. And people do start to realise and respect you for it. Because when you're there, you're then present. Yeah, precisely. And it's having that opportunity to not be there, which I think we all definitely need. And on those scheduled hours, 10 minutes, days, what do you do? Oh, okay. So recently, this is very shocking, but I managed to pick up a fiction book. Amazing. Philippa Gregory book. It's my favourite based on kind of Tudor times, historical kind of fiction novels. And I love to chill and read a book or go for a walk because when I'm reading it's one of the few times and I used to find this as a child as well to help me get to sleep I used to read every night before bed before the days of mobile phones but that's when I really switch off it kind of takes me away and then I often find I feel really tired I might even nap for 20 minutes amazing (laughs) love a daytime nap I know it's not for everybody but for me I find it's something I really need and then obviously scheduling things like date nights in the diary just going out for a nice meal with friends or my fiance and just normal social things they keep me going and on those days do you try to kind of limit your phone use a hundred percent yes obviously social media now has become another side angle to my job so first and foremost I am a nutritionist I've got my clinic I've got my clients my responsibility but secondly there is a platform for me um, which I do feel responsible for hugely my Instagram account especially Twitter these kind of different various platforms And I do have curfew times where I won't be on my phone. If I go out with my friends, I make a point of saying, okay, my phone's going in my handbag now. Let's just have a good catch up. That's very kind of brave of you, I think. I don't know if brave is the right word. It's been a learning curve. And it's something I actively want to do. I don't want to be on my phone 24-7. In fact, I make a big point of separating my personal life to my business and mm. as much as my social media accounts are my name I am my brand Rhiannon Lambert is the brand Retrition is the clinic but there's my life with my fiance and my friends which I don't actually share to and be honest that, that's brilliant though because I mm. think a lot of the time the lines get so blurred for, yes. for people who have kind of big Instagram followings it's yeah. you know they're promoting their life it's here's me out for brunch with my friends here's me doing this and yeah and, 
finding that boundary is, it is really finding tricky. the boundary. I'm lucky that mine mostly revolves around food. So love that. <laughs> often occasions where I'm not just eating food, I can switch off a little bit <laughs> with people. So yeah, uh, and this this sounds very cliche, but if it's too dark in a restaurant, what's the point getting your phone out? No one's going to see anything. <laughs> so I make these little excuses in my head all the time. No, I think it's really important. I think it's a big danger of sharing too much, actually, and I think. It has very positive aspects, social media, just as much as negative ones. There's pros and cons to everything in life, everything out there, including science, which I work with daily. It's always a study for or against something. But when it comes to giving people access, you could end up getting hurt. And there's already enough trolls and people online that I experience on a regular basis, just as much as everyone else mm. does. We don't need to add fuel to the fire. And I want to talk a little bit about your, obviously, your thoughts on the relationship between food and the mind. Mm. But firstly, I wanted to ask you a bit about your career as a singer, because you, oh, yes. you started very young. I did. Um, <laughs> that must have been a kind of crazy, crazy transitional time. Mm. It was, um, looking back, it was actually, in all honesty, the most exciting and the darkest period of my life. I learned and experienced things at such a young age. So to give a bit of context, I left home at 16. I moved to London at the age of 17. And I'd signed to a major record label very young. I have no musical family whatsoever. My mum or my dad don't sing a note. Um, no one in the family. I just was blessed with a voice, which enabled me to win an online competition with Classic FM. And being someone without the formal tuition, you know, I'm from a small country town in Wiltshire. I even drop my T's sometimes when I'm speaking in Australia. I'll, I'll listen out for that. <laughs> Something my singing teacher used to pick me up on all the time. But moving to London at such a young age was huge. And I witnessed some terrible, terrible things in terms of how you're meant to look, body image, appearance. And I started to realise that it didn't matter how good my voice was. It didn't matter. And I'm a soprano, a classically trained soprano now. I went to the Royal Academy of Music from a result of the competition I won. But I had to finance my own rent and pay my own wow. way. And there was no nothing really you could do then. There were no phones or social media. So I just went down Oxford Street, handed out CVs, got a job in retail. And that also spurred the body image thing. So not only did I have the singing world telling me I needed to look a certain way to be a success, to sell records, it's all about image. Everything is image-based. I had the pressures of the work role I was in in retail at the time. You have to wear heels on the shop floor, that kind of thing. And then obviously paving the way for what I ate. I believe that products, diet products, the standard ones, I'm not sure our name, but you know, the low-calorie yogurts and things and bars, replacement products basically, were the, the secret to achieve what I needed to be a successful singer. And throughout that period... I went to a doctor at one point. This was the real light bulb moment for me mm. as a singer. I realized my energy wasn't there. I'd lost a lot of weight and I wasn't really aware at the time that I wasn't really eating well at all. I was really malnourished. But the doctor, instead of actually getting a get a bit of background, you know, asking me questions, just prescribed me with antidepressants. I was so How young. old were you? I was 18 when I got the antidepressants. Wow. 18 years old. And I look back and I think I wasn't even depressed. And of course, I took them naively because I didn't know the impact they would have. And they didn't do anything. Mm. And that's when I started searching for my own answers to things. And it became clear nutrition was a crucial tool. And I talk about this in my TED Talk a lot because it's something that I think there's a lot of pressure on in society for women and men now that appearance is put above all things. And we seem to do anything to strive towards an ideal which actually doesn't exist because we are all completely unique. Mm -hmm. 
but society tells us we should look one all way. All look the same yeah. and it should all be, you know, yeah. thin and, and... Regardless yeah. of your mind or your talent or your abilities and we seem to put everything on a number, which is kind of where my nutrition philosophy began at a very young age, which then took me to do a three-year degree at university in nutrition. And then you kind of continued your singing career alongside mm. this. Yeah, I was actually really fortunate. So at this point, I'd realised, right, it's definitely not for me. I've been dropped by two labels, picked up, signed, dropped. It was a non-stop few years, really, a struggle, if I'm being honest, living on the breadline, having porridge for dinner, did that frequently. And enrolling in university did change my life. And just when you were, you know, in that really tricky period, what mm. was your mindset like? Not good. Not good. I was consumed by what I was eating, consumed by comparison, competition, thinking I have to be the best. The pressure I put on myself was awful. I didn't sleep well. I overexercised. I was just severely malnourished. My brain could not function looking back. And I think my mindset was very narrow. I didn't see any way out. Mm. I really didn't until I went to university. I didn't realise that there was another life. Because obviously all my friends, when you're that age, most people are at university or college or on a gap year. They're doing something fun and experiencing things. I didn't, hadn't even had a shot at that age. What can I say? <laughs> Did my first shot at 21. That important experience everyone needs to go yes. through. Yeah. So I think learning to have a bit of fun, because I'd worked solidly from the age of 14 anyway, and I'd, I'd just work, work, worked. And suddenly seeing that there was a, you could have a bit of work-life balance at university was quite refreshing. And so then kind of discovering the importance of food and nutrition was mm. really the key to you kind of changing your mindset and changing your life, really. Definitely, because once you're fueled adequately, you're able to think straight. Mm. And when your brain is starved of fuel anyway, it affects your mood. And there's lots of different neurological processes that affect serotonin levels and dopamine and different things that are related back to food, even gut bacteria now, which is a new science we're discussing. But the minute I started to get into uni and nourish myself, I was happier. Things just started to change quite rapidly. And the singing, I started to do part-time. I got to travel the world. I've been to some amazing places, Singapore, Oman, Portugal, lots of various gigs in a classical quartet. We were called Passionata. It's good times. <laughs> and so then kind of continuing your philosophy of food, what would you say to, to our listeners about the foundations of mm a good diet and yep. a good diet for the mind as well uh, diet is everything for the mind I cannot express enough that if you're looking at other aspects of your life like your movement your medication perhaps if anyone's on medication out there lifestyle factors sleep you cannot miss out nutrition because it is the other pillar it's essential and I've developed these four R's in my book, which I'll go through now. So respect your body, refuel it, rehydrate and recover. And that encompasses the fact you need to drink fluids like water to be actually a normal same person because that also affects your mood. Refuel is eating as much as possible in a good way, looking at food as something amazing. Rather than what you can take out, what can you put in your diet? Think about a balanced plate that has all the food groups. You don't need to eliminate carbs. You don't need to eliminate fat. It's the portions and it's the right amount and the quality not the quantity looking at respecting which is allowing your body these things and then recover which is rest days so these are the four aspects that I teach all my clients and it's in my book Renourish because it's just so easy to remember obviously my name's Rhiannon so I called them <laughs> Re you know it's a whole Re series there Renourish and then you've got the four R's obviously respect refuel rehydrate recover and it's very easy to remember that if you have those four pillars it will really really help fuel you and on that refuel pillar, mm. what are some of the kind of 
key foods you would suggest or yes. or how yeah give us okay. a few tips okay the best tips i could say is to combine your plate in a balanced way so the reason you shouldn't eliminate carbs first of all is that the brain's only source of fuel is predominantly glucose it's the preferred source so if you're having carbohydrates you can impact your serotonin levels and that's the happy hormone so if you've not heard of serotonin that is the happy thing you guys really want in your brain you want a lot of that and you want to combine your carbs with your protein because protein can't get through the brain in the same way carbs can so you need a carrier and if you eat them together the carbs transport the protein and help with the certain amino acid in protein so amino acids are the building blocks of protein they make different structures you get different types of amino acids and different types of protein like chicken or fish or tofu or beans and if you put them with the carbs that also helps the serotonin which then converts i'm going to try and get a bit less sciencey here but to the thing that helps your circadian rhythms and your sleep cycle which is melatonin so basically put carbs and protein together really good combo creates serotonin in your brain happy hormone creates melatonin sleep thing helps you sleep really well so that's the first tip and the second would be to always have a bit of healthy fat on your meals especially things like olive oil they're so heavily researched for benefits for cardiovascular disease or protection against those things and also your mood and your brain is also 60% fat so if you're not feeding it enough of the right fats that's also going to affect cognition and the thoughts and things that we have and the absorption of vegetables so vitamins A, D, E and K only are their fat solubles. They need a bit of olive oil on the veg to enable you to get the nutrition out of it. Then, of course, you've got things like vegetables and fruit full of vitamins and minerals and things that your cells are just going to love. So have a balanced plate. The reason these food groups work together is scientifically proven. And the more fad diets we embark upon, the more we are literally punishing our body and not allowing it to function in the way it should. And are there any kind of brain, mind, mood superfoods or do you mm. just do you just believe in a kind of a balanced approach as you've talked about? I think all foods are pretty super, really. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think obviously there's some that may be a little bit superior to others in terms of nutritional content like blueberries. They're also really good research for things like that. Oats, salmon, avocado, nuts, seeds. You know, you've got all these kind of labelled superfoods, but I don't believe in the powders. So when people may hear superfood, they may associate it with things like spirulina, this dark green powder, or maca powder, this Peruvian root. They're not miracle foods. Or turmeric even, or turmeric as some people may want to say. There's a bit of a divide there, like scone or scone. <laughs> it's, it's the middle class 21st century um, scone or scone. Yeah. Turmeric or turmeric? Turmeric or turmeric. But the active component in turmeric, for instance, which is what I call it, is called curcumin. And that's the thing that makes it yellowy orange. But you need to have tons of that to get any benefits. And people are just sprinkling a little bit on thinking it's going to provide some, some kind of miracle. And it's not. So... Balanced food groups, definitely, and a mix of everything. And when it comes to sugar, obviously, it shouldn't be a component of your diet every single day. But there's no harm in it either. And it's not going to do any damage if you're not having it to the point of excess. So it's being really mindful. I think mindful of what you're eating is a good word to use. And for you personally, as well as obviously kind of eating incredibly well and understanding the importance of nutrition, do you exercise? Do you Mm. meditate? Do you practice mindfulness? What else do you do to kind of supplement your healthy living? That's a really good point because they're the pillars of health. I do exercise. I make time for it. 
even if I can't get to a gym, you don't have to use a gym. I mean, that's such a kind of minimalist mindset. Gyms didn't exist, you know, a couple of hundred years ago. People were totally fine. Walking is totally okay. Just get your heart rate up a bit. So I aim, if I can, to do a class on a lunch break or in the morning, maybe twice a week, three times a week. It does make you feel good. It's good for your cardiovascular system. It's really good for your mental health. It does lift it. So you can't disprove that exercise is a It just a brushes benefit. off the cobwebs, doesn't totally, it? Totally, totally. But then there's that line of over-exercising, mm. which will have the opposite effect. So it's finding a balance of exercise, sleep. Oh, my goodness. If I don't get eight hours sleep, I am not worth talking to. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think the World Health Organization recommends between seven to eight hours. And of course, it's not realistic for everyone. But if you think about it, if you're deprived of sleep at least one hour a week, that's a whole night's worth of sleep by the mm. end of the week. That adds up. So sleep is the other thing I try and get enough of in an idealistic world. I don't have a child yet or anything like that, but um, I know that's it's all going to change. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you said meditation, now that's something we discussed when I came in, isn't it? Because I want to get into it. I really do. And it's something I haven't prioritised yet. But I know the endless research and the benefits to doing it that I think it should be something we're all taught in school, even how to switch off now with the amount of devices that we look at every day and how to think about when you're present, when you're not, acknowledging thoughts in your headspace. There's there's a lot to deal with there. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, you touched on it being taught in schools. I think mm. we probably do have responsibility and obligation to future generations yep. to really think about the effect this technology is having on oh, our minds totally. and then, you know, think about tiny impressionable brains. How how are they oh. going to be dealing with it as it goes forward? Tiny forwards? impressionable brains. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Tiny impressionable brains and they deserve good food. They deserve good sleep, good food and a good education. And unfortunately at the moment, I think we still have a long way to go. What, what do you think needs to be improved in, in terms of the education for nutrition, for example? Huge amounts. I mean, I do a lot of work where I even go and educate, let's say, I educate medical students as well. So I've done a few talks to medical faculties and even doctors don't know anything about nutrition. They mm. have less than six hours training. Wow. Yeah. It, that's that's next nothing. to nothing. Next to nothing. Yeah. Literally, some may be lucky and may have an extra module, but yeah. they do not have enough. So, unfortunately, the minute youngsters are even going to their GP, they're not going to get a good reflection of what could be a lifestyle cause because they don't have enough education on lifestyle. So, that's one area where education needs to improve. And then, if you're looking at the future generations, we've got the dilemma of the home environment versus the school environment versus the environment we live, and what we're now calling today an obesogenic environment because we've got so much access to food 24-7 everywhere you go and not always the healthiest versions. And unfortunately, even if a child is educated at school, what happens when they go home? Are the parents informed? I don't know where the answer is to this one because I think everything needs a bit of a look at. You can't point the finger at one single cause. Although I do talks at schools and one child the other day thought tomatoes came from ketchup. <gasps> I know. <laughs> This is a bit soul-destroying and I just, inside my head, obviously, I remained my professionalist, um, professional self and was just like, no, of course, have a look at this. And I picked up the tomatoes out the basket. I bring in with different examples of vegetables and a lot of them had never even seen a tomato. And that's in a more, a different socioeconomic area, of course. We've got these different pockets around the UK which still need improving in themselves. 
Then there's the other aspect of eating disorders. So I think eating disorders are on the rise, obesity is on the rise. We're forgetting to nourish the middle ground. Mm. It's a big problem. It's a holistic approach, isn't it? Mm. Because it's about teaching, it's about nutrition, teachings about mindfulness and mental health and and the effects of technology on everything. And I think kind of improving education in all areas is is really going to be important going forward. I completely agree. We can do something. I hope that by having, this is what I really hope from my social media, that it makes a tiny dent, at least something you know someone can learn one fact and it might change their lives and I I do these myth busting Mondays on my Instagram account and people love them because I can talk about fads that come in and things people thought they should be giving to their children and actually they realize I don't need to worry about that Um, we can all make a little difference and I think that also ties into one of my questions about you know women in business you you know you run your own business you're an incredibly busy successful Mm. woman with with lots kind of going on but actually sometimes it's um, whether it's women or anyone, I think it's tricky to talk about when we're struggling. And I think totally. having this conversation around mental health, mental fitness, mental wellness, whatever you want to call it, it's important if only to have the conversation. Mm. I mean, even you just addressing me in that way is still a big surprise to me. And when you say I'm a businesswoman, obviously I never set out to have a business. It's such a strange thing. It, it's evolved so organically that I feel I'm running and putting out fires all the time rather than strategically thinking in five, ten years' time I'm going to be doing this. It is very difficult because you are your own person, you are your business. You never switch off from it, especially if you're self-employed. It's a 24-7 job. And constantly comparing to other people as well, I think. That is the biggest thing that I now know is one of the things that will impact me the most. So I've learnt in the last few years, and especially with my clients, I, I teach them how not to compare to others. It's it's just so catastrophically bad. It's not going to do anything good. I wish my younger self knew. That's something I would tell my younger self. I would literally say, don't compare yourself to others. You're totally fine. You don't need to be. And it's only as you age, you become a little bit wiser to that, mm. I think. And I think in the age of social I've talked about this so many times, I'm a broken record, but everybody's lives looks perfect. And I I think whether you're in a business capacity or a nutrition capacity or, you know, whatever, or you're just Joe Blogs with your Instagram account, I think, Mm. you know, everyone looks like they're on holiday all the time or they've got (laughs) a new handbag all the time or whatever it is Mm. that floats your boat. So I think kind of understanding that social media is is just a facade it's not reality and that's something because my free areas I work with eating disorders obesity and weight management they're my three nutrition areas in clinic and with the eating disorder side I'm constantly letting my clients know that it's a snapshot they may not even eat the food they post they may not be working out when they film that workout video it's probably just constructed for you to use at home it's not a reflection of what's actually going on. You won't see the tears behind a smile one day or because people may not choose to share all of that and that's okay too. But as long as we, I think we as the consumer need to take as much responsibility as the person putting the information out. I agree. It's a two-sided thing and unfortunately both sides at the moment, especially people putting out information, that does need to be regulated. I see a lot of irresponsible social media, especially from heavily influential people with millions of followers. I think an example I probably can name on here is Kim Kardashian, who I've had a lot of interaction with in the press because of her appetite suppressant post mm. she's been doing recently, encouraging youngsters to take appetite suppressants in the form of a lollipop. 
It's, it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And you can't get away with that. Interestingly, advertising on TV is regulated, so you can't get that kind of thing on TV. But on social media, nothing's regulated. It's just starting, I think. The regulations are Thank just starting goodness. to be thought about. Yeah. But it's a whole world. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. it's a totally different world from television. So. I know. How do you stop? Because it's so big, it's a bit overwhelming. Where do you start? How do you implement it? Yeah. And mm. you talked about your kind of interaction with your clients and how you, you know, implore them mm. not to believe that that these are yeah. real lives. Yeah. I guess, you know, as well as a nutritionist, in some cases you're kind of counselling your clients mm-hmm. through through times as well. So I've got a degree in nutrition and health, a master's in obesity and a further master practitioner in eating disorders with the psychological implications. And that's accredited by the British Psychological Society because I, I couldn't do it originally. People were coming to me. They were struggling to implement the health behavior changes they needed to. And I needed the skills and the tools to be able to even discuss this kind of thing. It's very serious. And even I refer to a psychologist or psychiatrist. So I work in a triangle approach where as much as I act partly therapist, part nutritionist, I am evidence-based and I leave mainly the psychological work to the psychiatrist or psychologist. Because if you work together, you can enhance a recovery or you can enhance any action or goal. Mm -hmm. Because the mindset is equally as important. The psychology and the nutrition work together so strongly that's something I can't emphasize enough. You must have massive experience doing that with clients for obesity and for mm. eating disorders. And for the weight management side of things, do you still believe that's kind of equally yeah. as strong? A hundred percent. I think the reason my clinic is still standing is because we embrace that it's not just go away and eat this. It is so much more. In fact, when it comes to any kind of weight management, I believe everybody has a relationship with food. Everyone does. I defy anyone to say they don't because it's shaped throughout your entire life. It's shaped in childhood. It's shaped through experiences, social occasions, memories that we form in something I call your food script, which is like a play of your life around what's happened, um, what diet you did here or when your eating habits changed here. That then shapes your food world, which is how you perceive food. And everyone perceives food in a different way. What's healthy to me may be what's different to what you believe is healthy or someone else listening so you have to understand these aspects to help someone with weight management anyway because they are unique and deserve one-to-one bespoke nutritional advice that's tailored to help them overcome their beliefs or work with them and you work with some celebrities some footballers Mm. some athletes some olympic athletes i think yeah yeah they're incredible (laughs) oh and i was going to kind of ask you know do they as well i guess understand the importance of mental training alongside Mm. seeing a nutritionist do they you know do many of your clients meditate or or what's the kind of mental approach for for people who perform at such a high level Mm. hugely they really really do but not all of them at the start yeah (laughs) so they'll come to me especially the olympic athletes um They're very regimented. I mean, their body is their tool. They know they have to eat well already. They know they have to train. But they rarely get the psychological support they deserve because it's immense pressure. Mm. The whole world is watching them and they're about to deliver something or Or not not. deliver. Yeah. Yeah. And then how do they deal with that? So I think they're getting a lot better with providing them that tool. But one example I, I can name is Ronnie O'Sullivan. So he's a world champion snooker player. And we actually have a book together coming out next year. Yeah, which oh, congratulations. Thank you. It's it's because of he really believed he took on board the work that we were doing together. And he's such an example of someone that's had poor mental health. And for anyone listening that knows Ronnie's story, I'll, I'll 
I won't delve into it. Obviously, you can all go out and have a look. But this is a book for your mind and body because as a snooker player, (laughs) it's about the concentration. It's not just being athletically fit to maintain the stamina to be even stood around for that amount of time, Mm. the concentration. But your mental health is everything. You need to stay positive and focused. Even when you feel you're losing, you have to claw yourself back. So, yeah, psychology and nutrition for every aspect, for everybody. And so he brings the kind of... The, the mental side of things to the book and you're bringing Hugely. the nutrition. Well, he also lost a lot of weight actually in the beginning as well because he was following fad diets. So he oh, was wow. doing a, um, when I met Ronnie, he was doing a high fat, low carb, high protein approach. And he was gaining weight, feeling miserable, obviously moody because he wasn't getting the carbs he needed. Yeah. And he's a runner. So he was running a lot on injuries. So we had to look at his nutrition from the aspect of protecting the injuries, fueling the body, I had to work on his all or nothing mindset. He was very black and white. So one biscuit or the whole pack. Oh. Yeah. He was one of those. And if he on days when he didn't run, he would eat very badly. And on days when he ran, he would eat really well. So he had this mindset that we had to break together. And then he came out the other side, eating a balanced plate, losing weight, feeling better, and still winning tournaments this year in his 40s. He's wow. been going since he was 16. The all or nothing mentality oh. is so interesting, isn't it? So many sports people have it. So many. Even my actresses, anybody doing any kind of performance-related thing, they they believe that to be on top of the game, like I used to believe when I was a singer, I had to be perfection. Or nothing. Yes, exactly. Because no you fail if you are not perfect is the mindset that's drilled into you at any performance college, any sports college, anything. And how do you break that down? A lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Too much to go into. Come yeah. and see me later. Yeah. <laughs> But it's so well, it's so rewarding doing it. And I think it's really important that these high profile names speak about it, which is why I admire Ronnie so much, because he wants to help people. He's been through it all. He's got a family. He's been through ups and downs his entire life. He's been through drugs. He's been through alcohol. He's been through it all. And he's out the other side. So it's possible for anyone. And and how did he kind of find you? He found me, ironically enough, because we both had the same literary agent. Oh. So when I did my first book, Renourish, I was with Curtis Brown and he had another literary agent and he booked in to see me for a nutrition consultation. Oh, wow. Yeah. So small world and thank goodness because now this whole thing emerged from it. So I believe a little bit in fate. As much as I'm an evidence-based nutritionist, I love to believe that there's so many different paths you can choose to walk down and they all have different endings, Mm. but for the right reason. And talking about your kind of literary and books and Mm. and reading, what do you read? What do you listen to that you would kind of recommend for for our listeners about the interaction between body and mind, food and nutrition and the brain? Who else is kind of doing interesting things in the space? There are tons and tons. Now, this is the dangerous part where I almost don't want to recommend one person (laughs) because I know there are so many people that would be like, why didn't you say me? Um, We've got a while. We have got a while. I was going to say, um, I definitely like to listen to any podcasts by dietitians for food and mood interaction. And there's a lot of them. If you search in your podcast search engine at the top, you'll see one in particular called Paige Smathers RD. And she does a lot of work around the nutrition and the mindset kind of thing as well. But actually, on that note, I would also advise you to not consume. If you overthink your food and you're overthinking everything, the worst thing you can do is immerse yourself in literature and podcasts around it. Sometimes you need to take a step back, come off social media, stop listening to those things and listen to something completely different. Yeah, Listen to a podcast that's about history or 
the environment or something completely different to take your mind away Rather from Rather than that. obsessing. Yes. I think that's a really interesting thing to focus on. But when it comes to mindfulness, recently I had a conversation with Michael James Wong, who does a lot of events around London. And I'm actually going to book into one of his classes. Oh, I'll see you there. Yes, great. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go there and, and have a proper introduction because I think meditation it would be so wrong of me, of all people, to recommend what to listen to on that front because I'm no expert. And there is definitely a correct way of doing it in a way that isn't really doing it, from what I've learned. Well, <laughs> Michael's event, I think the next one I'm going to is at the British Museum. Yes, he said, he said. I was with him last week on, on a project and I can't go, unfortunately. I really wish I could. I'm actually running a retreat in France. Oh, Yeah, I'm off to Bordeaux to do my Renourish retreat. How um, many people do you have on that? I've got about 20 people coming and it's something I hope to do twice a year, really. Just take people away from it all, immerse ourselves in nature, learn about seasonal eating, eating for the right reasons, no restriction, no over-exercising, just healthy movement, sleep, fresh air, no pollution. Oh my goodness, that's something I wish I knew a lot more about, but I... I swear I can smell it in London every day. I mean, I cycle now and it's just sitting sitting behind. I don't, Mm. I can't bring myself to yet, but I'm sure I'll resort to one in the end. (laughs) Um, But sitting behind the back of a bus, you just think this this can't be good for me. I'm cycling and I'm undoing all the good at the same time. (laughs) I know. But nature is something else I I Mm. wanted to touch on because I think lots of people find that you know, I think there's a trend in Japan for forest bathing and, you know, wow. it's it's really kind of, we're rediscovering, I guess, the importance How of nature. How to reconnect. Totally. I think when you're surrounded by brick and cars hooting, I think the stress response in the body is really interesting to raise here because we're not naturally as human beings adapted yet to being in this crazy fast-paced life. And there are some studies that show the stress hormones in your body being released even when you're sat in a car in a traffic jam. Wow. You know, you're not aware of it, but that's pumping around your body. And that response is meant to be reserved for a time of panic or emergency where you have to suddenly run for your life or, well, that's very extreme, but maybe run for the bus and your Cycle for your life. Cycle for your life, yeah. Dodge that traffic. And unfortunately, we're raising the stress response more than ever before. And that then has a knock-on effect on so many areas of health. I mean, stress is said to be the biggest killer. And that's because it's linked to so many problems, tons. And is there anything you can eat that will lower your stress levels? You can't eat anything that will lower it, but you can avoid certain foods that may not aid it. Like caffeine is not a good idea. It is a psychosomatic substance that's accepted, meaning it does affect your brain. Okay. So people that are prone to anxiety, depression, heavy levels of stress, having caffeine is only going to make it 10 times worse and deplete nutrition. So the best thing you can do is to protect your diet. So think of it as an anti-inflammatory diet, as a diet with lots of antioxidants and healthy things. Again, that's the balanced plate. So when you're stressed... Some people want to reach for that pizza or reach for that donut. And maybe the one-off one is fine. But if that's becoming a reoccurrent thing and you're having six cups of coffee a day and you're eating food that's not nourishing you, that is not going to help you survive that period of time. And what do we think about sugar? Okay, so sugar. (laughs) Here we go. Um, Should we have done a whole separate podcast on this? Maybe we should have a whole separate (laughs) podcast. I can summarise that sugar is not addictive, which is something that people think it is. However... It is associated to lots of different things which may take place in a pathway which may be very similar to an addiction where you feel like you want more and more. It doesn't have the same regulatory appetite 
things like signals, so ghrelin and leptin are hormones that tell you when you're hungry and full. Sugar's not regulated by them in the same way. You know there's always room for dessert? There is really an off switch. Yeah, that's probably why. But then aging is something that there is research that sugar does something called glycation. So it takes all your protein in your cells and it stiffens it, kind of wraps itself around them and restricts it, which can contribute to wrinkles or for people with type 2 diabetes that often lose the circulation in their foot. It's because you've got all that glycation going on and stiffening and you're stopping the circulation going around. So excess sugar is not good. There's no... Sugar coating. <laughs> that was very smooth, Rihanna. I paused before I said that, thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to come out of my mouth. There's no sugar coating. The fact that sugar's not great for your health. However, in small amounts, it's totally fine. And I think porridge without honey is just disastrous, or having the odd biscuit or cake. I just can't imagine life without that. So I feel like you yeah. come very well prepared with some wonderful food puns. So oh, I know you, you <laughs> must you must be using them all the time. <laughs> Perhaps I am. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry if anyone's listening and they're like, I've been to her talk before. She definitely said sugar coating before. <laughs> I, phrases I've got. Well, in my it's head. funny it's now. It was funny then. <laughs> there you it's go. Still funny. No, thank you so much, Rhiannon. I think. Do you, do you have any other kind of final lasting tips that you'd like mm. to leave us with to do with food and the mind? Definitely. I think the most important thing to do is focus on you. So once again, do not compare. Your diet should be unique to you. And if you are at the moment in a poor place where you're not thriving, let's say, you're not feeling your best, definitely look at your nutrition and always seek qualified advice. Instagram is not the place to get your bespoke nutrition advice. A downloadable meal plan may not be the answer for you. Look for somebody that at least has a degree in nutrition. If you're looking for a nutritionist, it's regulated I'm regulated by the Association for Nutrition, which means I'm bound by a code of conduct and ethics and guidelines to not give out anything that's incorrect and harmful. Those are people are not regulated out there. Okay. So look out for someone that has AFN next to their name or an A-Nutra or an R-Nutra. With dietetics, they are protected, the BDA, British Dietetic Association. So for nutrition advice, just make sure that you go to the right people because otherwise you could end up following something which may not be helping your, your brain and your health. And if you need anywhere to go, you can always find me and my book covers food and mood, uh, Renourish. Um, there's lots of different things out there to help people. Thank you so much, Rhiannon. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Do Mind as we take a fresh and proactive look at mental well-being. Please subscribe to the podcast on your listening platform of choice. And for more information or to get in touch with us, please visit domind.co. We'd love to hear from you. 